0: Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. Let's get into today's message. We, uh, How many of you, I know it's only September, but uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie A Christmas Story? Anybody ever seen that one? You know, where the kid, is Ralphie, wants the gun, wants the BB gun. Can't have a BB gun, kid. You shoot your eye out, right? That's the, the line of the movie. Well, there's a scene in the movie where they're, they're all out to, to recess. And uh, it's cold. It's freezing outside because they're, they're in the upper Midwest somewhere. Where are they? Are they in Minnesota? I don't even know. I don't know where it is. They're just, oh, Cleveland. They're not as cold as we are here. Anyways, they're somewhere out there. And so they're out there at recess, and all the boys gather together, Ralphie and his buddies, uh, gather together, and they take one kid, and they dare the kid to, to lick the frozen flagpole. Anybody remember this scene? It's great. How many of you have ever done it, not needing to be dared by anybody? Come on, admit it. Yes, yes. See what happens. Oh, my goodness. And then, unlike you're supposed to, how many of you ripped it right off, and then needed stitches or something <laughs> to contain the bleeding? Anyway, so they, they do this. They're like, "Hey, lick lick the lick the flagpole," so the kid does it, and his tongue is stuck there. And uh, all of a sudden, what happens? The bell rings. Right, the bell for the uh, for recess rings. They have to go back inside. And they all start running back inside because you can't be late. You don't want to get in trouble. Don't want to get detention. And so they're all yelling about it. And, and they're, they're coming in. And the one kid stuck to the pole. And he's like, where are you guys going? Help me out here. Help me out here. Please, please, please. And then he has like he, the way the kid says, he's like, Oh, come on, Ralphie. Help me. Help me. Help me here. Don't leave me here, Ralphie. And uh, they're all starting. And Ralph was like, the bell rang, man, we got to go. <laughs> and so they all leave, and the kid's just stuck at the flagpole. And later on, the teacher notices, and where they, they bring out, like, a fire truck and stuff and try to detach him, just pour some warm water. Anyways, uh, sometimes I, I look at those, and that, that kind of story... And sometimes I think folks will read the Bible uh, or or simply hear stories from the Bible without seeking understanding, and think God is kind of like those kids at the flagpole. You know, I dare you to do this. Go ahead, try this, and then he just leaves. And whether you do it or not, he's out. I'm gone. And and some folks, unfortunately, don't don't read to the end of the story. They don't they don't see what happens, and they miss out on the power of God or sometimes it's within their own lives they feel a call by god to do something that's that's pretty crazy and they they don't stick around to the end to see what happens and they look at god as this proverbial bully daring us to lick frozen flagpoles and then leaving us to fend for ourselves uh, when that's really not the truth. The Bible is full of stories in which God has people take a step of faith and do something that just seems downright ridiculous, just seems kind of odd, and that's the message for today, doing the ridiculous, and I got some clown feet up there. Um, it's, you know, the, the the Bible is full of these kinds of things, the Lord challenging people to take those steps of faith, and we'll read those stories, and if the if if we can stick around until the end and see the person being tasked by God doing what he says, there's blessings for everybody. We can see the blessings within the person that's doing the task. We can be blessed by reading the story and seeing those things. And it's it, it can be amazing all around. So today, we've come to such a story as we continue in our journey through the Bible. Uh, let's kind of pick up where we were at. We, we took a little break last week, but just to give you a little bit of reminder of where we are. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army has set up a siege against Jerusalem and within four months what was left of Judah experienced hardships that included famine, pestilence, and of course fighting. And if you remember, we talked about Ezekiel and I set up my nifty little... uh, my siege here. Remember, God is is behind the 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 iron skillet. The the brick is is J town, Jerusalem, and uh, then you've got you know the Babylonian army and their battering rams, A.K.A. tanks, because you know they had tanks and. 589 BC. Um, all these different things, like these laser guided guns and everything, bazookas, you know, it's, it's very common back then for the Babylonian army. Anyways, um, so we had that all set up. Now, if you may have noticed the last couple of weeks, the, the, I had all these guys disappeared because what happened? The Egyptians came out and said, Hey, we want to tussle with you guys. And it distracted the Babylonian army to where they kind of went away from Jerusalem and there was a little bit of freedom. That happened during that time, and at that point, Jeremiah, the prophet in Jerusalem, was going to go buy some property. was going to go do something with some property in his tribal land, the tribe of Benjamin, and as he's heading out... he gets arrested, and they put Jeremiah in prison. Uh, so we've come to this story today in chapter 32 of Jeremiah. The Babylonians have come back, so that's why I've got my, my nifty Babylonian army set up again around Jerusalem, ready to, to continue the siege that they have. And we're going to look at this. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 32, or actually 1 through 5, uh, speaks of why they wanted to put Jeremiah... In prison. Verse or chapter thirty-two, starting at verse one, says this the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard. That was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So the whole purpose of Jeremiah being in prison is because, well, they don't like the message that Jeremiah is given uh, it says there that it was specifically it was Zedekiah it did the decision did come down to Zedekiah uh, but it was the the national leaders that were like hey we got to get this guy put away he's killing the morale of our nation and he needs to go so we talked about that a couple weeks ago he's in prison he's sitting there and while he is in prison God gives him this really crazy, ridiculous request, and it's found in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 6. Jeremiah, it says, Jeremiah said, so he's probably talking to his scribe, his secretary, a guy named Barak, and um, it says in verse 6, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, "Buy my field, that is at Anathoth, for the uh, for the right of redemption by purchase, is." Yours. Then Hanamel, the uh, the my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, "Buy my field, that is that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself." Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now, why is this odd? Why is this weird that his cousin would come up and say, "Hey, you have the right to purchase this land." What's really weird about it is Jeremiah, and pretty much everybody knows it's why he's in prison. Jeremiah knows that Babylon has surrounded this city and they're about to take over Judah, and uh, they're going to end up owning that land at least within the year because it says, you know, in the tenth year and it's the eleventh year that Zedekiah of Zedekiah's reign that they take it over. So it's odd. It's it's technically ridiculous that God is like, listen, your cousin's going to come and he's going to tell you to buy this land. And I want you to buy it. And Jeremiah, okay, it, but it doesn't make any sense because the Babylonians are going to end up owning that land because they're going to take over Judah. So waste your money, buy this land, do this crazy thing and, and make it happen. Um, note, though, what Jeremiah says at the end of verse 8. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Listen, friends, the Lord has a really good tell as to whether a prophecy is from him or not. It comes to pass just as he said it would. So there's there's a slight doubt in Jeremiah. Maybe he's thinking I had some bad bread last night and the the Lord told me to buy this land that's, going to, that's technically worthless and it's going to be worthless because it's going to be owned by the Babylonians. I don't know if this is true. But when his cousin, Hanamel, comes walking in and says, hey, you get to buy this land, Jeremiah's like, oh, that was from the Lord. That wasn't bad bread. That was for real. I actually heard that from the Lord, and, and the Lord was working. Jeremiah, a great and powerful prophet of the Lord, doubted whether or not he was hearing from the Lord. Friends, listen, it is okay to question whether or not you're hearing from the Lord. It's perfectly fine to do that. Lord, I don't know if that was from you. In fact, John chapter four, or 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us to what? Test the spirits test the spirits. Because there's going to be times when you're going to be like, I think the Lord is telling me to do this, but this seems really absurd and stupid. <laughs> this seems really ridiculous. Is it really from the Lord? Do not be afraid to question it and say, God, is this really from you? I need to know what's going on. I need to I need to understand you are allowed to do that. You are allowed to say, is this really from the Lord? And then the Lord will show you, listen, this is the way it is. Do this, you know, take this step of faith. Now, here's the line of demarcation between those who seem to see miracles and movements and power of the Lord and those who constantly question whether or not the Lord moves. Does the Lord still do miracles? Does the Lord still heal people? Does the Lord still do stuff? And then there's the people that actually see it happen. The line of demarcation, friends, is obedience. Is obedience. The Lord comes out and says, hey, do this. And then when we decide to do and we say, you know what, I'm going to take this step of faith and I'm going to do it. I know this is from the Lord. I'm confident this is from the Lord. This is going to be weird. But when we do that, boom, that's when you start to see the power of the Lord. When we decide to receive the harebrained ridiculous idea, get confirmation that it was from the Lord, and then when we act, we can see the power of the Lord. The question is, is do we act or not? Jeremiah, in this story, does act in obedience. Look at verse 9. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Nariah, son of uh, Messiaiah. Uh, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who are sitting uh, in the court of the guard. Verse 13, I charged Barak in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed and purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. We're going to pause right there. He does everything one was supposed to do at the time when it came to buying and selling property. Gets all the witnesses. They come together. I'm going to buy this land. I wouldn't be surprised if these witnesses were like, what an idiot. Okay, let's watch you sign the deed to this property that you're never going to see, Jeremiah. (laughs) You're in prison and Babylon is about to take over. So they all watch this. Everything happens. He tells Barak, his secretary, let's put this in an earthenware vessel. If you're wondering what that is, it's the same kind of jars that they found. The Dead Sea Scrolls in that were thousands of years old. Putting those things in that kind of jar, I'm not a scientist, but it works. <laughs> you put that stuff in there, it keeps it nice and dry. It makes it so that you can read it and you can keep it for a very long time. We know that he has to keep it for a long time. Why? Because Jeremiah knows this is going to last 70 years. And if anybody gets to have that land or that property when the exile is over, maybe they can find this deed and make everything happen the way it's it's supposed to happen. Now, listen, Listen, this doesn't seem like a powerful movement of the Lord. Nothing amazing is going on here. He buys the property. He puts it away. He does everything he's supposed to do. Why would they need, you know, why why does he do all this stuff if Babylon is going to take over the land? We don't see a lot of power here. Now, listen, I stopped reading at verse 14 because verse 15 gives away the reason why. And I want us to read it in real time. There is a massive gap between verse 14 and 15, and the rest of chapter 32 explains that gap. So I don't want to jump to it. The rest of this chapter tells us what is going on, and there is great, powerful truth for Jeremiah, for Israel, and technically, even for us. Look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, recording each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Verse 20, you have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself At uh, as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with, might, with great terror. Verse 22. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They they did nothing uh, of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it, and because of sword and famine and pestilence the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold you see it. Verse 25 Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Listen, friends, this may come as a shock for some of you, but you can question the Lord in what He is doing and He won't strike you dead. <laughs> what are you doing, God? But there's a key to this. You need to understand this you have to come in humility and obedience, okay? You can question God all you want to, but you better be humble and you better be obedient to what he's already called you to do, which is exactly what Jeremiah has done. Now, in Jeremiah, all those verses, 16 to 24, that's not Jeremiah buttering up God. Aren't I good? I know my history of the, the, the Jews and everything and how this worked and you're so great. He's not buttering him up. He's coming out and saying, You are God and I am not. You did all of these things. Signs and wonders. You are powerful. You are an amazing, awesome God. I've bought the field like you told me to. But dude, the siege ramps are on the walls. They're about to break through. Why? (laughs) Why did I buy this field? This makes no sense to me, Lord. Why is this happening? Listen, friends, you can question the Lord. Lord, what is going on? Why do you have me in this position? Why am I working this job? Why am I traveling here? Why am I going to this church? Why am I listening to this dude? Why am I listening to this lady? Why am I doing this, 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 and this? I feel led by you to do this. None of this makes sense right now. You can question God, but I'm telling you right now, friends, you better be doing it in humility and obedience to the Lord. Lord, I'm following what you're doing. I just don't get it. Can I can I get a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on? Because one of the things we have to understand, we have to realize, as Isaiah said, his ways and his thoughts are what? Way higher than ours. Way higher than ours. As the stars are in the heavens are the ways and thoughts of God compared to man. So we come humbly and say, Lord, I, even if you just give me a glimpse we do have to understand that sometimes, and a lot of us, I know there's times when I don't like it, but we don't like when God says, listen, I can't, because you won't understand. You just don't get it. Why this person is doing that, it. It, it, it's beyond our scope of our brain. You know, I make a joke about it. If you think too hard about it, your brain explodes and it oozes odds of your ears. God doesn't want that to happen to you, so sometimes he just has to tell you, listen, you just have to have faith that I know what I'm doing. We don't always like it, but sometimes that's the way it is. For Jeremiah, he gets an answer, he gets a response, and it's powerful. Now it's broken up into two parts, and it's kind of weird. It's broken up into two parts, and, and, and a lot of believe or a, a lot of uh, like scholars and stuff believe God's actual response to this is contained in verses 27 and then verses 36 through 34 or 44 while verses 28 through 35 are what are known as an editorial addition i guess you could say um the main reason is that these verses are written in a completely different style from the rest of the chapter. Most of the chapter is written in a poetic kind of form. This particular section of scripture in verses uh, 28 through 35 is what is known as Deuteronomic. It's, It's almost like a business, like an office memo. Here, here's a memo from the boss. It's kind of what it is. Now, It's not that these words were not spoken by God to Jeremiah. It's just that they probably weren't actually spoken at this point in time. And so what happened was, and this is not like 1950s, you know, someone's putting the Bible together. This is long before even Jesus walked the earth. They've got these writings from Jeremiah that are from the Lord. And it's the word of God, but they're like, we don't know where they go. So this seems like a good spot to put them. Because Jeremiah actually mentions what's going on with the sins of the people. The, you've, you've brought them to this point because of the sins of the people. So the Lord spoke to Jeremiah at some point. We have this. Let's insert it here because it kind of fits. So these first few verses here that we'll read real quick are just a a reassessment of the sins of the people of Israel. So starting at verse 26, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And then starting at verse 28, this is probably somewhere from something else, but they inserted it here. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs uh, offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight for, uh, from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. Verse 31, this city has roused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah uh, that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 33, they have turned to me their back and not their face, and though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house uh, that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So you have that first response. Technically... That doesn't answer the question, right? Why did you make me buy the field? Well, the people sinned. That doesn't make any sense. So that's part of the reason why they think it's kind of an editorial edition. They're like, okay, let's just stick this here because we understand it. Jeremiah brought it up. And to be brutally honest with you, they all understand, you know, back in those days, you know, you've got the convenience of having this entire book of Jeremiah bound up into a book or on your phone, whatever it is. That wasn't the case back then. I mean, in the times of B.C. and even for the first couple of centuries of A.D., you were hoping that you could just get scraps of these things. Oh, I hope I get the scroll. I hope I have this and and those kinds of things. So knowing that they weren't going to have all the information they inserted here so that they can say, well, if someone just gets this part of Jeremiah, they can come to a full understanding of what was going on in Jerusalem at this time when Jeremiah says this. So that first part of the response... Just kind of an addition there. The Lord did speak it. It was spoken. It was just probably at a different time. So now we come back to the actual response to Jeremiah of his question, Why did I buy the field? Why did you want me to do this? And we can go all the way back to verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Verse 36, skip down to there. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Verse 44. Fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah and in the cities of the Negev. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord." Once again, it was a visual illustration of what the Lord would do. On the surface, he would scatter the nation and he would bring them back. He would scatter them. He's scattering them right now. You're going to all parts of the world, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to this place come back together. I'm going to bring you back. On the surface, he scatters them. He brings them back. Just as Jeremiah purchased this land, so will the Israelites after the exile. They'll come back. They'll buy land again. They'll purchase those deeds. Maybe they'll uncover this particular deed for Jeremiah and find someone to take it because Jeremiah is in his 60s by now, and he ain't going to live to be 130. And at this moment, he doesn't have a wife and kids because the Lord told him that he wasn't going to have those things. So at some point maybe someone finds that field finds that deed and says hey this belonged to the family of Jeremiah of Anathoth let's let's figure that out the Lord is going to bring them all back but then the Lord goes deeper to explain that when they come back it's not so much about the law but about the heart he says he will put this everlasting covenant in their heart that he will be their God and they will be his people The law will still be there. The law is still there. But he wants them to understand, listen, I love you. And I want to be with you. And I want us to have this relationship. I have this law here to to help guide you into what is holy and those things. And though it will still exist all the way until the death and resurrection of Christ, listen, the whole purpose of this is is to draw you unto me you're gone you're going to be gone for about 70 years and then we're going to come back together it's going to be like a big old christmas party that took 70 years but it's we're we're all going to come back there's going to be res rest, uh Not restitution. I don't know what word I'm looking for. Anyways, you guys are going to come back. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. They will be blessed. They will be fruitful. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He brought up the disaster. He can and will bring the restoration. That's the word I was looking for. He's going to bring restoration. To go even deeper, he is speaking of Christ. In verse 39, what does he say? I will give them one heart. I will give them one way. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. They're going to come back. It's going to be about 500 years, but listen, it's going to work. I'm going to give them that one way, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to be a great time. He speaks of Christ here. Then when we pair this with the writing of Paul in Romans chapter 11, in which Paul talks about wild shoots, also known as Gentiles, you and me. Sorry if you are actually Jewish. If you're not Jewish, though, he's talking about us in in Romans chapter 11, of us being grafted into the vine who is God. We can see the depth of this promise all from Jeremiah buying this worthless field. God comes out and he says, Listen, I had you buy this field. It's worthless to you. You really you technically wasted your money. Seventeen shekels of silver, which probably wasn't worth much. You think we have it bad with inflation? Imagine having someone sieging your city and everything being absolutely worthless. And you have to buy, you know, a bag of bread is is a whole thing of gold. I mean, it's it's bad at that time. But God is coming out and saying, listen, I'm going to bring everybody back, and then there's going to be a time when I'm going to bring absolute restoration. And it's going to affect not only Israel, not only you, Jeremiah. It's going to affect the people during Jesus' day and then beyond, all the way to us in 2022 A.D., all the way to there. Powerful, powerful verse. So when we go back to verse 14 when... Uh, Jeremiah charges Barak to, to put the, the stuff in that, that earthen vessel. Verse 14, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. Verse 15, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land comes out and says, this is why I made you do the ridiculous. It may not be a powerful, super awesome miracle right at that point. Like an angel didn't come down and lift Jeremiah out of the prison and said, yep, he's the right guy. I told you nothing cool like that. But for us sitting here reading it, that's pretty cool. That's pretty powerful. This is going to happen. You can trust me. You know, as the Lord continued to say, is anything too difficult for me? No. I'm going to make this happen. I brought this disaster upon you. I can get you out of it because it's all part of my master plan. It's all part of how this works. Listen, friends, most of what God calls us to do will take faith. And sometimes we just don't have it. Sometimes we just don't have it. We can get all the confirmation that it is God calling us But unlike Jeremiah, we won't act, and we miss out on the power of God. You get called by God to do something that seems crazy, that seems ridiculous, that just doesn't make any sense. You kind of battle with it, and then maybe you get that confirmation. This is from the Lord, and we ignore it. What happens? We miss out on the power of God. Now listen, did you hear what I said? You miss out on the power of God. It's not that the will of God doesn't happen. God doesn't look at us and say, oh man, that person wasn't obedient. Guess I can't get this job done. No. He just says, okay, I'm going to go to the next person that would like to be used by me. And they'll get to see the power, they'll get to see the miracle, they'll get to hear the prophecy. They're the ones that get to see it. We have to be able to step up, though, and say, Lord, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to act as you have called me to act. There's a story out there. I had to, it's just the way I am. There was a story, uh, Stevie had told me about it. And uh, I said, hey, I, th- you told me that story a couple weeks ago and I got I to gotta remember what it is uh, about this person standing on their head. Maybe you've heard it before. And uh, she says, yeah, it's, it's, I found it here. And so I read it and I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, that's a great story. And then she pops up another version of the story. And I'm like, shoot. Is this thing real? (laughs) I don't even know if this is a real story or not. There's two different versions of it. So I did some digging around. And uh, one version of the story I found in a blog in 2008... And the person said, I met the lady that's about to do the action that I'm about to talk about. He's like, I met that lady. She goes to this person's church in Michigan. And so she really does exist, and she's the one that told me. And then I found another blog in 2012 of uh, the person that was in a seminary chapel, and the person told the story, and the person that was... Telling the story, said I met the gas station attendant that had this happen to them. So I was like, I think we're good. I think this is a true story, even if it's not. It's a pretty good one, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's real. So a lady is in Michigan. She's driving down the road, and as she's driving down the road, she passes by a Seven Eleven. And as she's going by the Seven Eleven, she feels the voice in her head, probably you know a bad burrito that she ate on the road. I want you to go into that 7-Eleven and I want you to stand and do a handstand, headstand in front of the soda machine, the fountain machine, you know, like by the Slurpees, you know, you put, and it's a soda machine, okay? It's not a pop machine, it's a soda machine, okay? I've got my cousin here from, also from Wisconsin, it's a a soda machine. You can call it pop all you want to, the story called a pop, it's not pop, it's soda, pop is a sound. Anyways... I want you to stand in front of that soda machine. I want you to do a handstand. She zooms right by that 7 Eleven and says, Ain't doing that. That's stupid. That is not God. She keeps driving and it it will not it will not go away. And she's like, Lord, fine. You're 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 nagging me. I guess I'll follow. Makes a U turn, heads back to the 7 Eleven. Nobody's in the parking lot. Lights are on. It's open. So she's like, okay, nobody's around here. Soda machine is kind of tucked away. You can't really even see it from the front here. The guy at the counter kind of steps back. So she's like, okay, so this dude's ain't going to see me. No one's going to see me. We can do this. She comes up to the soda machine, gets down on her hands, stands up, comes back down. I'm not going to do it because I can't. You all know I can't. And... She's, she looks around. All right, we're good. I don't know why you had me do that, Lord, but okay. All of a sudden, gas station boy, attendant guy. Excuse me, ma'am. Oh, what? <laughs> why would you just do that? Uh, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's a crazy story. I'm, I'm out. I, I just, it's, no, ma'am. Why did you do that? Why would you stand on your head in front of my soda machine? Pop machine, whatever. Soda machine. She's like, listen, I'm a believer in God, born again. And as I drove by this 7-Eleven, I had the Lord tell me, stand on your head in front of the stupid soda machine. So I did it. We good? I'm out. It's like, wait. My life has been absolute Garbage. I have a terrible relationship with my family. I think he was strung out on drugs. I mean, nothing against gas station attendants. I was a gas station attendant, but that was the only job he could get. The guy you know, took a chance on him, and it's, it's coming to the end. And he's like, my life is absolutely worthless. It's absolutely horrible. I've heard about God, and I told God. I said, God, you care about me? You think about me? I tell you what? You have someone come in and do the most crazy thing, and I'll believe in you. You have someone come into this store. The dead of night, nobody's around here. You have them come in here and do a handstand in front of that soda machine, and I'll follow you. lady walks in. (laughs) Does a handstand because she got called to do the ridiculous. Listen to God and what happened. Like I said... Someone had spoken to the actual gas station attendant. Saved his life. Got saved. Followed God. Don't know his name. The name of the, the lady wanted to stay anonymous, so we don't know her name either. But, but that was that story. Listen, friends. Are we willing to act on the ridiculous things that God is calling us to do? Mission Sunday. Got a whole wall back there. Those are all the missionaries. Well, not all of them. That's a good chunk of the missionaries that we support on a monthly basis. I'm telling you right now there's most of them if not all of them has some crazy story of God calling them into missions. Have some crazy things that have happened to where they didn't think they were going to get into the field, and then all of a sudden they did get into the field. All sorts of stuff. I can't get my visa. They think I'm a terrorist. They think I'm this and this and this. We had to wait for this, had to do this. Kramer's have a great story. Uh, Paul and Robin Kramer, not saved, uh, get divorced. Their kids are all grown. They, they get divorced and then they connect with each other. They get married, and then River Valley Church sets up a church right across the street from them. In a street strip mall. They go into the strip mall, into the church, and they're like, what's going on here? Let's check this out. They, they experience the power of God. They get saved. They go on a missions trip, and they're like, let's check this out, see what this is all about. While they're on the missions trip, I can't remember to where. I think it was the Philippines. They head to the, that missions trip. They come back, and they're like, you got to go into missions. I mean, and three years before that, they were living perfectly fine, remarried from divorced lives. Completely changed. And now they're sending us weird corn-flavored candy from Thailand. (laughs) Just kidding. Kramers, it's all good. We love you. (laughs) If they even watch. But so many of them, Pastor, well, missionaries David and Carmi Buckley, plant a church, Romania. The Romanian United Pentecostal Church asked them, would you please start a church for young families? Because we're pretty sure nobody here in Romania wants to do it. They say, yeah, we'll do it. They start the church a few years ago, and it just grows leaps and bounds. They're like, we got to get a new building. What's the only thing available in Romania? How about an old dance club, nightclub? Okay, (laughs) we'll do it. They buy it. They've been in there for over three months. think today they're having another baptism service for everything that the Lord is doing as people continue to come because they decided to listen to the ridiculousness of God. Some of you are sitting here today, and there's some ridiculous call on your life. The Lord wants you to do something. The Lord wants you to move in a certain direction, wants you to talk to somebody, wants you to do a handstand in some gas station. I don't know what it is. (laughs) but you're wavering on it. Stop wavering on it because I'm telling you right now, friends, you cannot keep the will of the Lord from happening because of your disobedience. What you keep from happening is you seeing the power of God happening. You getting to be that witness. There's a lot of power out there that God wants to show you that God wants you to experience. The question is, are you willing to go out on the limb and follow what God has called you to do? Jeremiah did. Granted, it wasn't some great, powerful, pick you up out of prison, isn't life great, though he's going to survive this entire thing. He got to see one of the most powerful prophecies in the Old Testament. Going to bring all these people back together. I'm gonna give him one way. I'm gonna give him one heart. Covenant's gonna be inside of him, not, not on a piece of paper. He gets to see those prophecies of the Messiah. He gets to see the prophecies of us as we sit here. Jeremiah, you have no clue. But because you bought that field and did this visual illustration, there's gonna be a church in Timbuktu, Minnesota, that's gonna to gather together on June or on September fourth, two 2022 and hear about it. And it just may change someone's life because they decide to be obedient because you were obedient, Jeremiah. What is it that God's calling you to? What's the ridiculous action that you need to take? I want to challenge you guys. Take it. Talk to that person. Go to that place. Do that weird thing. And see what the power of God could possibly do. Stand with me today as we close this up. Coming to the end of the siege. Babylon is about to take it all over and Jeremiah does the ridiculous thing. Are you willing to take the step of faith and do the same thing? We're not under attack. No one's taking out our city, but within your own spiritual life, maybe Satan's knocking on the door. You need to step out in faith and say, God, I know that though things may be going haywire around me, you have a plan, you have a design, and I'm willing to step out in faith and do what you've called me to do. I'm going to pray with you guys today, and if that's you, I just want to encourage you to take the step of faith that you're supposed to do. Maybe some of you are are questioning, Lord, I I need to know that this really is from you and not a bad burrito I ate. (laughs) Be praying about that. Let's go after the Lord. Father, I thank you for each person that's here, Lord God. Father, the key to our relationship with you has always been obedience, it's always you you had Samuel tell it to Saul, Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And sometimes it's it's easy to obey some of the things, you know, you've called us to to preach the gospel, you know, you've called us to help the poor, to help, you know, those in need and that kind of stuff and and those things, Lord, sometimes they they just kind of come off easy because because that's quote-unquote normal. But every now and then, Lord, you, you call us to something that's out of the norm, that's definitely out of our comfort zone. Father, I pray for each person that's here, Lord God, that they would have the boldness to act on what we would call the ridiculous things that you call us to do, Lord God. Father Jeremiah got to see a powerful prophecy. Lord, I pray that each person here that has that call on their life to do something ridiculous will receive at least that, Lord God. Most of all, Lord, though, I pray for many people to be a witness of the power of your Holy Spirit, of the power of your hand, Lord God. That was a a major theme throughout this chapter, Lord God. Is anything too great for you? There's not, Lord God. Nothing is too great for you. The person that we sit next to every day can get saved. The person that's struggling through the chemotherapy can be healed. The person that is at the lowest end, has no money, is living in a battered down house, can receive provision from you, Lord God. All of these things can happen because nothing is too difficult for you, Lord God. Father, we come to you today in humility to say, we know you can do those things. We know you have great power. You are God and we are not. For some of us, Lord God, we sit here and ask, Is it you telling us to do whatever weird thing it is that that we're supposed to do? Father, I pray for the people that are praying that, Lord God. I pray that they will receive the confirmation, Lord, and that they'll see your power in their lives, Lord God. And Father, I pray in each and every single one of us an expectation of you doing this for each of us, Lord God. Lord, you are so creative in the ways that you speak, in the ways that you work. You rarely repeat things. You're always creative and do something new. Only Moses had the burning bush, Lord. Only Noah got the the flooded earth. Only Abraham got the bouncing pot. Lord, help us to see the things that you're calling us to, Lord God. Help us to be open and help us to be bold, to take the step of faith to follow you in what you've called us to do, Lord God. Father, I pray for testimonies right from this church, right from the people that are standing here, right from the people that are watching this at home, Lord God, that that they would stand up and say, Look at what the Lord has done. Look at what the Lord did. Look at the healing that was brought here. Look at the provision that was brought here. Look at the salvation that was brought here. Look at the rescuing that was done here. Father, may we see that, Lord God. May we see you move in power, Lord, as we continue to draw closer and closer to you, God, and then act in obedience, Lord God. Praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Take some time today, friends. Spend it with God talk to him. Say, Lord, here I am. What crazy thing do you want me to do? Maybe it won't be too crazy. At least ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then obey. Praise you, God. Hallelujah, Lord.